I love, um, I love God's word because it's so real. <laughs> um, you know, our, our tendency, I think, sometimes is to, um, to look at God's words, especially the Old Testament, and, and, you know, make it into almost myth, right? Make it into, you know, just a story um, instead of recognizing that, you know, it's real life stories, that th- these, are, these are historical accounts of people and their encounters with God. And the great privilege, you know, as I kind of drew out a little bit last week, you know, is the great privilege or, or, or benefit of that reality and understanding that is that that gives us hope because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the way that he interacted and, and, and blessed and was there for people in scripture, he is with us in that same way. Um, and, and so, you know, this is why we preach the word. This is why we teach the word. It's not just because it's some myth that we can try to get people to figure out and understand and understand the nuances of. No, it's, it's about an encounter with the real God of the universe, right? That he is a God who is active and involved in this world and more than that in our life. Genesis chapter 15, uh, we skipped over 15 and we jumped to 16 last week and some of you may have said, hey, what happened to 15? How come you skipped that one, right? Well, we're back now. Uh, I just felt like uh, I needed to hit 16 because I want to hit 15 and 17 actually together because they both have to do with covenant and the renewed promises of God uh, to Abraham and Abram, Abram and then Abraham in verse 17 and, or chapter 17. And so, uh, and so that's why I did that. So we're going to kind of go through both 15 15 and 17 together, mainly uh, focusing on, I think, on 15 and uh, see where the Lord leads us in this this morning. Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eleazar, or Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward the heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram, at the beginning of this chapter, has probably been 10 years since the initial call of chapter 12. And he's waiting. (laughs) The call was not just a land, right? It wasn't just Canaan, right? 
there was more to it. And we'd seen, you know, Abram's kind of, you know, maybe kind of figuring this Canaan piece out. And when he went down to Egypt, and they're like, ah, oh, that didn't work out very well. And he gets back to the land of Canaan, repents for his sin, and says, God, I'm, I'm yours, I'm here, I'm going to stay. Even when it comes to Lot, and they split, and Lot goes one way, he stays in the land of Canaan. But here he's like, God, wait a second. It's been 10 years. I'm now like 85 years old. My wife, Sarai, she's not getting any younger. Like, you promised not just land, but people, like a, a nation. <laughs> His question is humble. I think we need to be careful not to, to misread maybe into this that this is doubt. He still believes God. But he's just kind of like, how's this going to work out, God? <laughs> like, really? I mean, uh, you know biology better than I do, right? So <laughs> how is this going to work? And I love the verse, verse 6. And Abram believed the Lord. And it was counted him as righteousness. So he drew this out a little bit in chapter 12. This reality that Abram's righteousness is not as a result of his works. Abraham's righteousness, just like our righteousness, is a result of faith. Putting our hope and trust and belief in God. That he is who he says he is. He can do what he says he can do. And that he will do that in me, right? Beautiful. I mean, this is powerful. For, for those who, who look back too quickly at the Old Testament as, as being just this legalistic, law-centric salvation, it, it's not really that. The law was given indeed so that, we could, so that God could reveal to us what his will is and what was right and what was wrong. But really all it did was expose our sin. It didn't bring salvation. It never was meant to bring salvation. Salvation was always meant to come through Jesus. And that was meant to come. And, and, and our entrance into Jesus was meant to come through faith. Just like Abraham. But I also love God's response to Abraham. You know, Abraham doesn't get like, or God doesn't get like upset with Abraham. He's not mad at him. He's not like, come on, Abraham, just have faith. Just come on, stick to it. Now, don't worry about it. We'll get it. I've got this. Stop worrying about the details. All right. I've got, now this is not the way that God responds to him. God steps in. He understands the struggle he knows the question that's there. He recognizes this is logical for Abram to think this. Like, um, he promised me nations. Uh, you, I don't know how this is going to work. I'm getting to that point. My wife's getting to that. You know, I mean, we, it's not going to happen. God doesn't hammer Abram for his question. Instead, he encourages him by renewing the promise and then giving some extra details, <laughs> and this is most important, assurance. First, let's look at how God renews his promise. 
start in verse 7 and read down through 16 now. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. To possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought them all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. And for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You should be buried in a good old, at a good old age, and they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. So God renews his promise. He says, look, look, no, no, don't, don't worry about it. I've got a land for you, and I've got a nation for you. Matter of fact, you need to understand that they're going to go through some things. Now, it's not going to maybe turn out the way that you have it in your mind, the way this is going to work. This promise is not going to be fulfilled maybe in what you're thinking. Because it's not going to happen immediately. Matter of fact, yes, you are going to have a son. But that, that, that generation is going to spend some time and they're going to go to a land that is not the promised land. They're going to go to Egypt. Right? Foreshadowing right now what's going to happen with Moses and all of that. The years of Egypt. Joseph, who's going to be his great-great-grandson. Right? I mean, this reality that's coming. And they're going to be in Egypt for 400 years, enslaved by the people of Egypt. But then I'm going to, they're going to get released. I'm going to come in. I'm going to judge that people group, that group that is oppressing them. And then they're going to come out with great possessions. And then at that time, they will possess the land. So he, he encourages Abram by saying, look, there's some more details here that you need to understand. I love also, in, and now we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 17. In Genesis 17, 6, he, he, he gives more details about the fact that he is not just going to be the father of a nation, but he's going to be a father of nations, plural, and that he is going to have, there's going to be kings that come from his line. Again, he's encouraging him that, look, look, no, this is going to happen. This promise is sure. Matter of fact, it's already been, in my mind, played out. I've already got it figured out and how this is going to go. And so let me give you some of that so that you know how this is going to play out in the future. Amazing grace. I love how also in Genesis 17, he gives more detail about the fact that the heir is going to come from his wife, Sarah. Consider the interesting chapter in between where we see in 15, God renews his promise, but he doesn't really talk about Sarah yet. 
And then, in, you know, but, but God says, yeah, it's going to be your heir. It's going to be, you know, child, your child, your son. There's going to be heir. And going to be, you know, the promise is going to come through. And so then we have 16 where Hagar and Sarah and Abram, you do all these crazy things trying to figure out the way to do God's promise. And in the end, God says, no, 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 this is not the way it's going to work either. It's not going to be through just somebody in your household. It's not going to be someone through Hagar. But no, in 17, we see, no, it's Sarah, your wife, who's going to have this child. I love how Abram falls on his face in humor and laughter when he hears that. But uh, careful again, not to read into that like doubt. Like when Sarah chuckled later on, hers, her chuckle was one of doubt. Like, no, that's not going to happen. But Abram's, I think, was more of, oh, what joy, Lord, that you would actually Allow me and my beloved wife, Sarah, to have this child, this child of promise. So God, when he faced with Abram's questions, when he's faced with Abram coming before him and saying, God, I I don't understand. I, I believe in you. I believe you can do it, but... How are you going to do this? It just doesn't make sense. God steps into that. Doesn't reprimand. Instead, understands. Renews the promise. Gives some extra details. And then he gives him three assurances. First, we have this strange story that I've already read a little bit about in Genesis 15, where God tells him to go and grab these animals, to sacrifice them, to split them in half and lay them on the ground. Now, what God is setting up here is a covenant of sorts that the sacrifices there laid in half, the next step of, that, of, that, of this covenant would be for the individuals who are entering into this covenant to then walk between the sacrificed and split animals. Signifying by doing so that if they do not fulfill the covenant, that they would accept the same punishment that these animals have in essence, that they would be the ones who are sacrificed. And so we see this all set up. We, we see it, the sun is setting. We see Abram gets tired. We see this vision and God comes in and speaks to him. But then watch what happens next in, in verse 17 of chapter 15. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the pieces on that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadamites, Kadmus, sorry, Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Raphaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Notice Abram does not walk between the sacrificed animals. Again, this is God renewing his promise. 
This is a promise to Abram. Abram's only job is to put his faith and trust in God. And God allows himself. The the flame, this is the representative of God here, going between the pieces. He allows himself to be put in this, what we would as human beings say, precarious situation. Because the reality is, he is God. Does he need to prove that his word is true? I mean, think about it. He's God. He could have very well just said, Abram, I told you this is the way it's going to be. Trust me. I don't have to prove anything to you. I am God. I am the true, one true God. I will do what I've said and just leave it. But he steps down and he recognizes the reality, the tension in Abram's mind, and he actually capitulates in essence to this, to to say, no, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm willing to kind of put my word on the line in this very real way to you, to say that, no, I want you to know, I want you to be assured that my word indeed is good that I indeed will do what I've said I will do. Amazing that we have a God who's willing to come down to our level. Next, we see the assurance that God gives Abram is in chapter 17 when he changes Abram's name. Changes it from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of multitudes. Imagine how uh, probably some in his family and the people around him must have laughed after this encounter with God. When he comes back, he says, hey, I got a new name. What's your name? Father of multitudes. Um, you got no kids, right, Abram? You know that, right? <laughs> Right? I mean, it's crazy. But this is, again, how God works, right? He changes names because he wants Abram to know, look, no, no, you are no longer just some exalted father. No, no, you are the father of multitudes. I want you to step into this new identity and recognize that you are going to be the father of multitudes because I have promised you. Stop seeing yourself in the old way of just an exalted father. Instead, see yourself as the father of multitudes. Step in and live that because that is the name that I call you. I call you Abraham because I know what I'm going to do in and through you. Although it's not been realized yet, step in to my name. (laughs) Abe is not who he was. He's who God says he is. And then finally, the third assurance that God gives is circumcision. Yeah, that's right, I said it. Circumcision. In chapter 17, we see God say, okay, Abram, now I want you to do something. I have I've walked between the sacrificed pieces. I've given you this new name, but I also want you to understand that 
that you are indeed different. You indeed are mine. So I wanted you to take another step of faith to say, yeah, (laughs) to receive the sign of the promise. You see, circumcision here is it's, it's not a righteous deed. It, it, it gets corrupted, right? The Israelites really messed with this. And then we get, you know, the Pharisees in the New Testament, and there's, there's stuff written about this in Romans chapter 4 and Galatians 5 and Colossians 2. They're all, where we're kind of dealing with this circumcision because there's a wrong perspective about circumcision that the Israelites develop. And, and they put all of this weight in, in, on, on circumcision as if that is the sign, that's the thing that you've got to do in order to become righteous. But that is not it at all. When God comes to Abram, he's not saying, hey, I want you to prove that you're really righteous. No, wait a second. In 15, we just saw this reality. He believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So circumcision, instead of being the the way to find righteousness, it is the sign that he is righteous. It is the seal, if you will, of God's promise. Saying, Abram, you indeed are mine. And I want you to know this by putting a mark on your body that you can never forget. <laughs> and that every day you will remind it, not only am I, are you mine, but your ancestors are mine. Your lineage is mine. Your people, the nation that I'm going to build from you is mine. Beautiful. Hmm. a way to describe this actually I thought about this the other day Bob uh, was doing uh, the baptisms uh, with Joel and Dean uh, back in January and he said something at the beginning about baptism which is true that baptism is an outward sign of an inward reality and that's circumcision in this covenant perspective between God, that that circumcision is that outward sign of the inward reality. The outward sign doesn't save Abraham. It's the inward reality that the outward sign represents that saves Abraham. Again, it's amazing that we have a God who not only is as grand, powerful, omniscient as he is, but we have a God who's so willing to interact with us in real life, to be with us, to, to put up with our little nuances, right? To, to recognize what's going on and, and that even though he doesn't have to, he continues to reveal himself to us. We have a God who wants to assure us I don't remember the reference, it just came to me, but uh, Jesus, at one point, when he's dealing with the Pharisees again, they, they are calling Jesus to once again give a sign. Hey, Jesus, we want, prove that you, who you are. Prove who, that you're really the son of God. So give us a sign. And what is Jesus' response? I'm not going to give you any more signs than this, that I'm going to die on the cross and raise from the dead again, Right? 
And so this, this, this reality, you come, oh, wait a second, so God doesn't, doesn't give signs. No, no, no. God doesn't give signs to people who don't have faith. But he gives signs to those who are his children. Because he wants us to continue to develop that faith and to trust him and to live with him. He, he knows what we need and he understands that. Now, it may be different though. We got to be careful. Sometimes we demand the signs that he's given other people. I don't know. What, what does he want to say to you? Because what is really going on in your heart? What is your real question for God? And maybe that's how I want to end things this morning. What is your questions for God? What are, the, what are the things that he's promised that you're like, God, I'm not seeing it. I mean, how are you going to do this, God? I mean, you promised this, but I don't see it. I don't know where this is, how is this going to turn out? I, I, in my mind, it, there's no way this is going to end well. What are the promises? What are the questions? What are the maybe even the challenges you have for God? Abraham should inspire and encourage us to not be afraid to ask God questions. He knows what we're thinking already, right? And sometimes we think, well, he knows what I'm thinking, so why don't you just answer? Because you haven't asked. Like, ask. Like, we, we, we do this with our, man, we do this with our spouses and our friends. They should have read my mind. They should have known what I was thinking, right? <laughs> We do the same thing to God. Now, God can read our mind, but he wants to say the same thing. He wants us to say it out loud. This is what the Psalms, Psalms are all about, right? Over and over again. You know, people just you know, challenging God, saying, God, where are you right now? What's going on? I, I, my enemies are around me. You promised me this. You promised me that, and now it's not happening. I don't know how it's going to figure out. God, help me. Are, are we willing to ask God that question? What are your questions? Don't be afraid of him. Go to him. Lay it down. Be honest. Shoot, look at Job. Right? I mean, he, man, he went pretty hard. Like, come on, God, prove me wrong. Let's go, right? You know, he was like in his face almost kind of thing, right? It's amazing. We can't be afraid to ask God questions because we have a God who not only will hear our questions, but he'll respond to us. Not with not with anger, not with pomp and circumstance, like not getting, oh, look, I am God. Who are you to question me? No. He's a God who's sure of his sovereignty. He doesn't have to defend his sovereignty. He's able to come and engage with us. God can handle our questions. And when we ask, he will renew his promises. And he'll clarify his promises to us and how they're going to be fulfilled sometimes. We're going to be free from the power of sin. But Jesus, I'm still struggling with sin. I keep doing that dumb thing I don't want to do. I keep doing it. Why? Jesus, help me, right? He, yeah, I know. Trust me. You're free. Let me, how, let me tell you how that's, what that's going to look like. It means that maybe, you know what? This sin is going to continue to be a thorn in your side. But my grace is sufficient for you. 
I can still use you and bless you despite your sin. Yes, free from sin. And you'll experience greater righteousness as a result, but it's not going to necessarily look exactly like you think. God, you promised to redeem, to reconcile, to, to bring relationship back. And yet these relationships are still tense and, and they're not coming together. And, and people that my, my kid isn't coming back to you. My, my relationship with my spouse isn't getting better. I, I thought when I came to you, this would all get fixed and it's not. And he says, yes, my son, my child, I love you. I promise to redeem these things. But it may not turn out the way you're thinking in your mind. Trust me, I plan to prosper you and to bless you. You've got a bright future. We have a God who steps in when we question. He reassures us of the promise, and depending on what we're going through, the uniqueness of our question, he has an answer for it. He'll give more and more detail. The longer we're living our lives with Christ, right? I mean, it becomes clearer and clearer and clearer. I've been amazed at how the things of this world become less and less tangible to me as I've lived my life for Christ. And the things of eternity become more and more tangible for me. Because he promises to bless us. And we have received amazing and abundant blessing in this world. But... There's so much more. Not only is he a God who steps in and renews the promise and maybe gives us a little bit more detail on what that means, but he's also a God who still assures us. Romans 5.8 while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This parallels with the pillar of fire going between the sacrificed animals. Right? God shows up. Abram's got this question. And he says, I'm going to make a covenant with you. And then Jesus shows up, and we've got a new covenant, a new covenant in his blood. He, Jesus, God was willing to send his son. Jesus is willing to come to assure us of his love for us. To assure us that indeed he is pursuing us. To assure us that he wants us to be in intimate relationship with him. And it's not about our good works. He doesn't want us to be assured in our ability to live righteously. He wants us to be assured in the fact that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That his love is sure, that it's, it's permanent, it's there forever. And it's not based on our action. We receive that love and the experience of that love simply through faith. Just like Abraham. When we believe God, it is counted to us as righteousness.
just like Abram as well, we have been given a new identity. Romans 8 has given us the power to become children of God. We're no longer just Sean, right? You know, it's not just me, right? I, which, you know, what does that mean? I don't know, crazy now. It's Sean, right? I mean, who picked that name? An Irish name, I know, but yeah, John. Anyway, whatever, Sean, right? It's not, I'm not just Sean anymore. I'm now child of God. Like, he renames me. He says, no, 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 you are mine. I need you to know this. You're no longer just some guy named Sean. You are now a guy named Sean who is a child of God. You've got a new name. Now, child of God, like, oh, well, uh, but wait, I'm not really living in that yet. I haven't experienced that fullness yet. I mean, I, I, mean, I don't know what, it, no, no, that is who you are. That is how I see you. And you are going to be that fully in eternity. Live into that. Step into that. Don't just be Sean anymore. Be a child of God. One of the greatest struggles we have as Christians in this world, right? This side of heaven is figuring out our identity. Figuring out who we are. God tells us who we are. We're children of God. Can we step into that? Stop doubting that. Stop saying, well, wait a second. I don't have a bunch of kids yet. No, no, no. You are the child of God. It doesn't matter what it looks like on the outside. We simply trust him. We believe in him. We place our faith in him. And it is counted to us as righteousness. Amen? Amen. And like... Abraham, we receive a sign in our flesh, not the outward flesh of circumcision, but the inward flesh, circumcision of the heart. That, again, we have this sign, this seal of the Holy Spirit the moment we place our faith in God, the moment we place our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes and indwells us, marks us, so that everyone knows, so that we know, so that God knows, nope, that one is mine. That's, the, that's one of the ones who are gonna receive the full promise circumcision of the heart, the, the dwelling of the Holy Spirit to come and to reveal. And in John chapter 16, it talks about this reality that the Holy Spirit comes to convict us of sin, to tell us where we're wrong, where, where, where we're misstepping. Not so that we can get, get accepted by God, but because we need to trust and put our faith in him and then seek to enjoy that righteousness. Enjoy that righteousness in our relationship with Jesus. It's the Spirit that does that work. Certainly for the unbeliever, God is constantly calling, drawing them to himself. And when they finally make that choice, make that decision to step out and to bow their knee, to admit their sin, repent of that sin, say, God, I've been walking the wrong way. And we immediately enter into this new family. Holy Spirit comes in and seals us 
for the promise. We receive a new name, child of God. And we get to accept the amazing gift of Jesus' sacrifice. (laughs) Do you know you're saved? Do you know? Are you sure? See, Jesus, God doesn't want us to be doubting that. Ask him your questions. Don't be afraid to ask those questions. Don't be afraid to challenge him. And then look and see and listen. We have a God who still speaks to us. Sometimes we look at Abram and we go, Abram, Abraham, you know, we're like, what? what's going on here? Like, you know, God spoke to him, you know, what is that? I mean, and we think, you know, this is an Old Testament thing, not a New Testament thing. No, 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 wait a second. No, no, God is still speaking. He understands us like he understands Abram. Now, he may not deal with us exactly in the same exact ways that he's dealt with Abram because we're unique individuals. But he is a God who knows us, who loves us, who's with us, will listen to us, will bless us, will be there for us, is faithful to us. And these are the things we cling to as we continue to put our faith in him and trust that even when we can't see it, even when it doesn't look like all the promises are being fulfilled and before us, right? Even when it doesn't look like everything is happening that we're supposed to be happening, that we still trust. Still put our faith in him and know that he can do things that nobody else can. He will do his will for his glory and for our blessing. That he is a good, good God who loves us deeply and desires to bless us beyond measure. Amen? Amen. Hmm. Laura, worship team, why don't you come up? Reflect on the questions that you may have. Allow the Spirit to stir those up in you again. And during this time of worship, maybe at the end of this service, ask Him. Say it out. Maybe you need to say it out loud. Just a whisper. You don't have to yell it. Okay, we don't, we don't all want to hear it. <laughs> but maybe just whisper it out or, or at least like purposefully like, no, I need to, I need to ask this God. And see what happens. See how he shows. See what he does. All right. Let's stand and we'll close with a song or two. Lord, let us take a moment to read your word and proclaim your praise through it. Ephesians chapter 1, 15 and following. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might? 
that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at works in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespass made us alive together with Christ by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus for by grace you have been saved through faith And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, if you have questions, you want to speak it out, a great place to do that is with our prayer team up here. Come up, share it with them, be vulnerable with the Lord and speak it out. Uh, We've got spaghetti outside as well. I heard it might be a little bit, not quite ready yet, so you might have to pause and sit around and wait a little bit, but that's okay because we love to talk. God bless you, church. Have a great day.